Hey there, I'm so pumped to tell you about an amazing new community I've launched called Grief to Growth Circle Community. It's a space for people who are grieving to come together to support each other and for people who want to know who we are, why we're here, where we're going to have those conversations, all the things we talk about on the podcast. So I invite you to join me at grieftogrowth.com slash community to become part of this compassionate crew. The best part is 100% free. And you have access to me in addition to everybody else in the community. In fact, the podcast will be there so you can talk about the things we talk about in the podcast right there in the community. There's also some premium content if you want to go deeper in the work I'm doing, but mostly it's about building relationships and community and about sharing resources and supporting each other. So come on over and check it out. It's grieftogrowth.com slash community. I'll see you inside. Hi there. Welcome to Grief to Growth Podcast. Your host is Brian Smith, spiritual seeker, best-selling author, grief survivor, and life coach. Brian believes that the worst tragedies of life provide the greatest opportunity for growth. Brian says he was planted, not buried, and he is here to help you grow where you've been planted by the difficulties in life. In each episode, Brian and his guests will share what has helped them to survive and thrive. It is his sincere hope this episode helps you today. Hey, everybody. This is Brian back with another episode of Grief to Growth. And today I've got with me a fascinating gentleman. His name is Mr. Alan Klein. Uh, comedian Jerry Lewis had said that Alan Klein is a noble and vital force, vital force watching over the human condition. Uh, Mr. Klein is also known as the Jollytologist and ambassador of light. And he shows people how to use humor and positivity to deal with life's not so funny stuff. He's an award-winning professional speaker. He's a TEDx presenter. And is the author of The Healing Power of Humor, The Off Factor, and the book we're going to talk about today is Embracing Life After Loss. He's also a former hospice volunteer and director of the Life Death and Life Death Transitions Institute in San Francisco. So with that, I want to introduce everybody to Mr. Alan Klein. Hi, Brian. How are you? Good, Alan. It's good to have you here today. And, and you know, I brought I brought a friend with me. I hope it's okay. Dr. Fauci is here with us. Oh, cool. Dr. Fauci. I like him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, he'll be right here standing by. Yeah. I'm a, I'm, I'm a big fan of Dr. Fauci. Big fan of that. So I want to talk to you about um, your, we talked earlier before we had started and I, and I asked you about doing comedy and you said you actually do humor. So the first question I want to ask you is, what's the difference between comedy and humor? So for me, humor is an attitude that we have to the world. So um, we look we look at lighter things. Laughter is another word in there. Is is when we see something that kind of tickles our funny bone, we start to laugh. Mm-hmm. And comedy, I think, is. Um, you know, helping, it's the comedians, uh, helping people find the humor or comedy. Um, comedy would be something that we find funny. We call it comedy. Mm-hmm. But the humor is more like looking for that comedy. It's not comedy itself. Oh, okay. So it's 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 kind of opening yourself up, having an attitude of finding the funny or looking, changing your attitude to see the comedy in something that maybe not everybody would see the humor in. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So for an example, I did a lot of research and I there wasn't very much out there about humor and death, dying, and grief. Now, most people would not find anything comedic or anything to laugh about in that circumstance. Mm -hmm. And so what I was showing people is how to, that yes, even in those difficult times, there is humor, there is comedy, and not only is it there, but it could be very beneficial to help us lighten up about loss. Okay, okay. So, so that's that's my definition. Yeah. When did you come across this idea of looking for, for looking for humor in in a subject like grief or loss? How did that how did this occur to you? Well, it happened um with my wife. She she got a rare liver disease, primary liver <laughs> primary biliary cirrhosis mm. and there was no cure there was no liver transplants at the time and the prognosis was about three years mm. and brian needless to say you've lost a loved one you, so you know how difficult um that could be yeah but ellen had a great sense of humor and, and continued to use it during those three years help us lighten up um, give you the example that I often tell other people. And she was in the hospital with a, a copy of Playgirl magazine with the male nude centerfold. And she said, Hey, Alan, I really like this uh, man this month. Can you, uh, this nude man, can you put it on the wall over there by the, by the window? And I said, Alan, this is a hospital. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little risque for that. And she said, well, maybe you're right. She said, why don't you get a leaf in the plant over there and cover up that part? And Brian, I did that and thanks for the first. We're fine for the first day, fine for the second day. But by the third day, the leaf starts shriveling up. (laughs) (laughs) And we would look at that and we would start to laugh. Mm -hmm. And I realized um, after Ellen was gone that how much that laughter helped us rise above the situation. And maybe it was only five or 10 seconds, but it gave us a reprieve, gave us a perspective. And I realized how humor could do that. And I realized that's why it's so vital in death and dying situations. Mm -hmm. And most people say, well, how can you laugh at a time like that? And I just thought it's the opposite. You know, how can you not laugh at a time like that? Because it was the humor. It was the laughter that help us rise above the situation. Yeah. And I think that would be something that people would say is, you know, we, we don't like the topic of death and dying anyway, and we don't like the topic of grief. And I, I think uh, we feel like we have to go into it. We have to be, we have to be serious, you know, we have to be serious about it. So I like the idea of you giving people permission to, to lighten up a little bit, you know, to not take life quite so seriously. Right. And it is serious and we are losing someone we love. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but what the research is finding is that humor could help us cope with almost any situation. And so maybe this is really vital uh, in, in this kind of tragic, what some people call tragic situation is we need a little bit of reprieve. We need to put that, that grief in the background for a while because we need to continue living. 
Uh, I remember when I was a hospice volunteer, I worked with a woman who'd lost her mother. And it was a young woman in her, I think she was in her 30s. Hmm. And she lost her mother. And as a volunteer, I was trying to help her get through this situation. But for two years, her life kind of stopped. Hmm. This young woman's life stopped. And I thought, this is like a double loss. This is the, the mother was gone. She died. And now the daughter was not getting on with her life. And in some sense, her life was lost too. Yeah. Yeah. So so how does your book help us with that? I, I know that you mentioned that there are five stages of going from loss to laughter. So what are those right. stages and how do we how do we navigate ourselves through those? So I'll go through them quickly and then we can go back and look at them if we want. Yeah. Uh, in more detail. Okay. So I don't know if you know or who your listeners know who Kubler-Ross was, but she worked in Death and Dying, and she talked about five stages. Mm -hmm. So I thought, if Kubler-Ross has five stages, I want want five stages. Mm -hmm. But mine all began with an L. So it's losing. To realize that life does not go on forever, that we're all going to die, that loss is part of life. And I thought, what? If we live forever, what would that be like? This planet would be, it's already overcrowded in some areas. There are already food shortages in some areas. Imagine if we all live forever. Mm -hmm. It would be disaster. So on some level, I think nature has a way of like cleaning out, you know, vacuuming some of the dust there by by having death in it. so death, one, losing death is part of life. I think mm-hmm. we have to realize that. Mm-hmm. Second, second L is learning. You know, we usually don't learn a lot when things are going well. It's when things are not going well, like in, in loss, that we could learn our greatest lessons, how to be more loving, how to be more caring, how we only live for relatively, even if we live to 100 relatively short amount of time in the big universal span of time. And that it's important that we, we um, learn from that and, and that none of us know when we're going to die. And mm-hmm. therefore we need to be kinder to other people. We need to do what we want to do in life. Uh, we need to be more gentle with ourselves and other people. Um, so we can learn certain lessons from loss. Mm-hmm. I'm sure when your daughter died, you learned you learned some things about yourself and yeah. about life. I'm still learning. It's been six years. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think death is like a wake up call uh, about our own life because we go, sometimes we go through a life where we're either doing a road or you know we don't pay attention. And I think is death is like a knock on the head. Like you're going to die someday too pay attention to what you're doing, you know, in the world. So Mm -hmm. I think learning is the second L, Mm -hmm. Uh, losing learning and then letting go. You know, uh, we need to move on. As I mentioned, the daughter and her mother just recently that, you know, she just got stuck for two years. Mm. So in order to get on, we need to get on with life. We need to start letting go. And I think in my book, I talk about two ways of, of letting go. One is to forgive. 
Hmm. And around death and dying, there could be a lot of forgiveness. Forgive ourselves for not being able to help the person who died. Uh, forgiving other people for not knowing what to say when someone dies. You know, um, there's all all kinds of forgiving that we could do around death and dying. Mm-hmm. And then the other is gratitude. Being grateful for maybe what that other person taught us. I know when my wife died, I, I learned so much about um, being grateful for, my wife was very gregarious. So to, to being grateful for the friends and family and the, the love that was around, but also to be grateful for my wife teaching me to get out there in the world, mm-hmm. to, you know, to, to be more open, to be more, um, to look for, we talked about um, my awe book, my recent book, The Awe Factor, but how to, how to find the, the wonder and the amazement in life because mm-hmm. life is so, is so, can be so joyous. So I learned a lot. And then the fourth L, so losing, learning, letting go, living. And at some point, Yes, it's important to grieve. I'm not saying it's not important, but we need to go on and live again. And I think one of the ways that people have lost someone could do that is to volunteer. Because I think when we're helping others, we we kind of help ourselves to start to get back to life again. Mm-hmm. That, that it really helps us um, not focus so much on ourselves but focus on giving to other people. Yeah. So I think I think that's living. And then finally, finally coming to laughter. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, you know that. Um, uh, just getting more laughter in our life, and the, the, actually there was a, a research that showed they did a two-year study. George Bonanno is is the researcher's name. He wrote a it's in one of his books. I forget the title. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did a two-year study of spouses who were grieving the loss of the other spouse. And they found that those spouse, the survivors that could find something to laugh about in the, while grieving, it's so much better. Two years, the test was a two-year study, so they t- tested them two years later. And they did so much better, people who found laughter while grieving, than those people who didn't find anything to laugh about during those two years. Yeah, yeah. So, it, you know, it, it's, so, it's so important. I'm not saying tears are not important, but I, I notice people go, some people go, oh, I can't laugh. You know, they feel guilty about laughing. Yes. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that your loved one will think less of you. You know, um, in fact, I did a small study of people when I was writing the book of, you know, what people wanted their loved ones to do after after that person had died, and and I'd say ni- over ninety percent of the people said my loved one would not want me to be upset for a long time. They want me to grieve, but not, but to go on with my life, particularly if they had children. They wouldn't want their children to be somber, you know, for years and years and years. They'd want to enjoy life, to laugh again, and and to have a good time. 
Yeah. So even even the law, the dead spouse, you know, they the survivor thought wanted them to be more joyous. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, I'm testing out a new feature. I'd love to get your feedback on it. It's called Fan Mail, and you can send me a message right from the show notes of the podcast. So look for the link that says send me a text. You can ask a question for a future podcast. You can suggest a guest or just give me any feedback you want. Just remember, it is one way I can't text you back, and I will not have your name, your email address, or your phone number unless you include it in the message. Let me know what you think. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because you bring up a, an interesting kind of paradox I think we go through. Um, we know that our that our, our spouse or our loved one who is who has uh, who's died would want us to be happy, but we feel guilty about being happy. We feel like we, you know, we shouldn't allow ourselves to have that. We're supposed to be sad. This is what it's this is what it's supposed to be like. And I'm not honoring them if I if I if I'm happy, and and that's just, frankly a thought that I had when my daughter when my daughter died yeah, that yeah. that um you know because I love her so much then I could never be happy again, and I think that's a very a very um from the people I've talked to that's a very common feeling that people have. Yeah, and I I would think that one you could switch that because it's all up here. It's all how we're relating to loss. Switch that to, okay, so she was fairly young. I'm sure she was very playful as a kid. Wouldn't she want you to be playful and, and you know, remember the laughs you had together or yeah. the play you had together? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's go back. Let's go back through those again, because I, I think those are very important things about being intentional about as we as we process through our grief, as we go through it. So the first, you know, the first L is losing. And I would I would frame that as more maybe acceptance of, of the reality that I'm in now, because this, this is a thing that happened. This is a thing that does happen. You know, it, it's interesting. You, you mentioned that we seem to be surprised by death, even though we all know that we're at someday, this someday this is going to happen. I was speaking with someone just a couple of days ago, and this is a person who was with someone like the love of their life. And they said, it wasn't supposed to be like this. We were supposed to go together. And I, and I said to this person, how often does that happen? When we, when we get married and we say till death do us part, we kind of know that's probably not going to be, we don't typically both go together. So it's just accepting this reality of, of, of this existence that grief is going to be a part of it. Right. And yeah. And that um, everything that lives dies, <laughs> you know, um, so I, I want to turn to my book here because I have the reason I wrote the book, the um, I'm trying to, there we go. Hold there it up go. so we could see the cover. Embracing, Embracing life, life after, after loss. loss. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, reason I, when my wife was dying, I, or after she died, you know, I was in, I was in severe grief mm -hmm. and I was looking for books that would inspire me, that would kind of hold my hand, that would lift me up mm, with mm -hmm. inspirational quotes or thoughts or stories or comments. And what I found was mostly books to a two to 300 pages or more thick. Mm. They told me how I would not be doing well, that I would probably lose my appetite, that I might be depressed that I might lose my sleep, that I, you know, and I thought, 
I don't need to hear this. You know, I <laughs> I wanted something uplifting. I mm -hmm. wanted something where I could just open the book and read something that would uplift me for the uplift me for the day that mm. would motivate me to go on. Mm -hmm. And so I did this book that has, you know, each page has a thought, has a quote, um, has something that people could uh, just think about and in their life and help them move on with their life. So that's, I, that's the structure. Yeah. You know, I, I, Brian, this, this was kind of amazing. When my wife was dying, I went to a therapist because um, it was a three-year process and it was, it was pretty severe. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, you know, I was pretty down. And after the second session, he told me, well, Alan, life is difficult. And I got up and I left the office. I said, I'm not paying you whatever it was in those <laughs> days to tell me life is difficult. That is exactly what I'm experiencing. Yeah, I know this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know this. So um, often books or other people, you know, tell you stuff, you know, and I don't think people that agree we need to hear that. Mm -hmm. So let, let me just turn. To, here's a quote that I like. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a reminder that people, um, our, our loved ones live forever in some sense. The body's gone, but the spirit lives on. And mm -hmm. so uh, this is by uh, Gehil Gibran, the poet. Mm. He said, the lights of stars that were extinguished ages ago still reach us. So it is with great men who died centuries ago but still reach us with the radiation of their personalities. Yeah. yeah. So a lot, you know, those people, they're still around. I feel my wife is still around. Do you? Okay. Um, on yeah. some levels. I think maybe you feel your daughter is still around. Oh, I absolutely do. Yeah, yeah. I, abs I absolutely do. And, and it's interesting. I come from that perspective where I believe that we are eternal beings. I, I think we don't, we don't really die, but even if you don't, you know, um, the fact is that memory of that person is still with you and will always be with you as long as you're here. And you can always, you can always draw on that. You can always, you know, talk to them and, and carry them forward with you. So right. again, back to that first L of losing. And, and when you, when you got to the third L of letting go, I was a little bit nervous because the idea of letting go of my daughter is something that I'm never going to do, but you, you, you've talked about forgiveness. You talked about um, having a spirit of, of gratitude because, um, in traditional grief counseling many years ago, they would tell you, okay, just get over it. It's, it's, it's the relationship is over. You need to accept reality and you need to move on. That person is gone. And they found that that method of grief counseling, frankly, didn't really work because it's like you said, it's like going to a therapist is telling what, what you already know. That's why you're there. Um, but this idea of being able to bring that person forward with us and that, and to do things in the memory. I mean, I'm sure your wife, this book you've written, is a tribute to your wife. It's it's a continuation of her legacy. Mm -hmm. I I should tell you a story when I when I first was doing um, humor and death and dying workshops and stuff. Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure this is what I should be doing, particularly because I almost failed speech in college. So for me to get up and speak in front mm. of a group was like terrifying. So I was doing this three-hour workshop, and there was a break in the middle. And just before the break, I happened to look way in the back 
in the corner, there was a woman that looked exactly like my wife. Hmm. And in fact, I got goosebumps. You know, it was one of those goosebumps moments. And uh, and I thought to myself, well, uh, the break's coming up in five minutes. Um, I'll as soon as it's over, I'll go and speak to this woman because this is kind of spooky. Yeah. And uh, the break came and I started to go to this woman and somebody tapped me on the shoulder to ask me a question. I turned around and chatted with them, turned back, that woman was gone. And she never came back after the break. Hmm. Wow. Whether she was there or not, I don't know. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But what I, I was thinking about it later, and I thought it almost didn't matter if she was there or not. What, for me at least, it was my wife telling me that what I'm doing, what I'm, you know, is the right thing, and I should continue to do it, and it's going to help a lot of people. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so I'm curious, uh, did your speaking start after your wife passed? Is that when you started doing Because you've, you've done TEDx talks, and you've done all kinds of speaking. Is that when it started? Right. See, I had this, Brian, I had this passion because humor helped um, both her and me deal with the process. Again, Mm -hmm. there were lots of tears, Mm -hmm. but humor was pretty predominant about laughter and and just almost kind of trying to go on with our life in spite of what was happening, enjoy our life, you know, in spite of it. Mm -hmm. It was disco time, so we used to go disco dancing, things like that. Wow. so after she died, um, I just had this passion to share, you know, how we laughed together. Yes, we cried a lot together then, but we also laughed a lot. And when we were married after about 10 years, we would question, why are we still together? And one of the things um, she would tell me is because I always made her laugh. Mm-hmm. I hadn't realized that, but it was uh, so I thought. Laughter was such an important element in our relationship. Yeah. And here it came up again during her terminal illness and how it helped us. I need to share this with the world. Yeah. And um, so I just, as, as afraid as I was of getting up and speaking, you know, I got up and talked about it. And then um, I, I, Joined the National Speakers Association and mm-hmm. one conference I went to, I don't think that was true, but what I heard almost every speaker say, if you want to get ahead in the speaking business, you need a book. You need to write a book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I thought, I need to write a book about the healing power of humor, tell the world about it. And so, you know, I wrote the healing power of humor. It's now in a 40th printing and a ninth foreign language translation. So wow. it was a out of passion to share my experience with the world is, is how this all happened. Yeah. Well, you brought up a, a several really good points there. And I think one is about, you know, an idea of balance, you know, life is, it's not all tears and it's not all laughter. It's, it's both. And we have to feel all of the emotions. And, and so when we're going through these, these dark days that we're going through, it's okay to take a little break you know, to, to have some humor, to, you know, to, to laugh and, and to make memories, even while you're going through that time, it doesn't have to all just be over it when, you know, when we're going through that. Right. Let me go to the back of the last section of the book, the laughter, mm-hmm. since mm-hmm. you brought it up and 
um, you know, I wrote this book a while ago, so <laughs> I have to refresh my memory, and I've written several books since. So, I understand. Um, at least you're not one of those interviewers. I was on the radio when The Healing Power of Humor first came out, and he said, I love that story on page 83. Would you tell it to us? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. 80, I don't know what's on 83. I've had so, people do that to know, me, so I understand. <laughs> oh, yeah. So you know. Mm -hmm. uh, you have a book? I do, yes. I, yeah, which yes. is, what's your book? It's called Grief to Growth. Um uh, Planet, oh, great. Not, okay. Planet Not Buried is as a subtitle. So it's it's about getting through grief and growing from it. Wonderful. So you know about helping people through writing and through your podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. That's, wonderful yeah. work. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, here's a little thing on laughter and loss. And you know, we think we can't, but how often have you been at a funeral and you look in the coffin and people go, Oh, they've never looked so good. <laughs> you know, uh, kind of, kind of crazy. Um, or a hospital gown. You know, you think uh, now I know why they call it ICU <laughs> because it's you know open in the back. So mm -hmm. you know, or a tombstone. There's a lot of funny tombstones. One of them that I like is "See, I told you I was sick." Yeah, that's my favorite. <laughs> yeah. So you know, there is laughter there. It's not, it's you know. Um, Let's let's see what else I wrote in this section. Um, the power of humor. Um, all right, it's just just some instruction about finding it. Um, hold on, give me give me. Yeah. Oh, I I love this quote. This is by the editor of uh, the New Yorker. Okay, Bob mm -hmm. Mankoff. And I love what he said about cartoons and humor. He said, they are not for the good times. Therefore, all the bad frustrations, annoyances, and things bordering on the horrible that happen. Mm. And they're even for the horrible things that happen to other people. It's a certain little anesthesia of the heart which is necessary. So he talks about humor as being an anesthesia of the heart. Yes. yes. I, I love I love that, um, what he said about that. Um, we'll get back to grief to growth in just a few seconds. Did you know that Brian is an author and a life coach? If you're grieving or know someone who is grieving, his book, Grief to Growth, is a best-selling, easy-to-read book that might help you or someone you know. People work with Brian as a life coach to break through barriers and live their best lives. You can find out more about Brian and what he offers at www.grieftogrowth.com, www.grief, the number two, growth.com. If you'd like to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash grief to growth, www.patreon.com slash grief, the number two, growth to make a financial contribution. And now, back to Grief to Growth. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi there. I'm really excited to tell you about my latest ebook. It's four lessons that you can learn from the near-death experience without going through all the trouble of dying to learn them. 
I've been studying NDEs for several years now. I am completely convinced that not only are they 100% real, but that there's some very universal wisdom that we can get from the near-death experience. And I've distilled that down in this book into four short lessons. And I've also given you all the reasons why I believe the NDEs are absolutely real. So go to www.grieftogrowth.com slash NDE lessons to pick it up for free www.grief2growth.com slash NDE lessons. I hope you enjoy it. I, th- I think that's extremely important. And I, even starting that out, you know, humor is not necessarily for the good times. It's for, it's for the bad times. It's, it's during those times. And you, and you mentioned it when, we, when we were first opening about needing that little bit of escape sometimes from the, from the, the bitterness of life and, and balancing that out. And you, you talked about it when you talked about um, the letting go, when you talked about forgiveness and gratitude. And those are two really key things I found when you're going through grief that people really need to really understand that forgiveness is, is so important that letting go of, of, of blame and of, of guilt. And a lot of times, especially it's forgiveness for ourselves. It's like, you know, we have to understand that we did everything that we could do. We did the best that we could do at the time that nobody is omniscient or omnipotent or omnipresent that we, you know, the doctors that, that might've, you know, why couldn't they have saved her? You know, all those types of things, you know, they don't serve us. So we need to learn to, you know, to let go of those things. Right. Yeah. I have a number of pages, you know, forgive, forgive yourself, forgive your loved one for dying. Yeah. You know, yeah. The very basic thing, you know, yeah, that's an important. Um, yeah. Forgive the doctors. That's a big thing. I remember when the doctor told my wife that she had a terminal illness, it was, it was kind of weird, but he stood at the door of the hospital room rather than coming to the bed to tell mm-hmm. him there was something inside of him that feared death, fear mm-hmm. telling people, of their terminal illness. So on some level, I had to forgive him. You yes. Know? Yeah. I had to forgive people who um, turned away from her at the time, but they were dealing with a lot of, she was young. She was 34 and 31 mm. when we found out. Wow. They were young, you know, they realized that if she's ill, that um, maybe I, you know, this could affect me on some, I could die young too. So mm-hmm. a lot of people are afraid of their own death. So, you know, we need to forgive them for not showing up when we needed them. Yes. There was just so many things to forgive. There there are, but you know, the thing is interesting because I've talked to people that say, well, I can't forgive. You know, I can't, I can't let go of that. There, maybe their son or their daughter was, was murdered or, you know, something else. And the thing that people really understand is forgiveness is not for the other person. It's not like we're asking you to do this, you know, this, this great acts of, of humanity. It's for you. It's, it's for you to let go of this because, you know, holding on to that anger, uh, I forget who said it, it's like carrying around a hot coal and expect it to burn the other person or like drinking poison, expecting the person to die. It's only hurting you. And when we can practice forgiveness, it frees us. You know, there's, there's, when we actually, when we, when we, holding a grudge against somebody, we're actually creating a bond with that person and we're dragging them around with us, you know, in a, in a very real conscious way. And when we forgive them, we release that bond and mm-hmm. we let that go. 
Yeah, there's a story I have in one of my other books about a teacher teaching the class about forgiveness. <clears throat> and she had them take a potato sack and put potatoes in it and then carry it around the room. Hmm. And then she had them one by one take out a potato, you know, of who they want to forgive. Mm -hmm. And how much lighter that thing they were carrying around became. It was such a vision for me. It it was such a visual thing to teach kids how to forgive. I I thought it was wonderful. It is. I think it's. I think it's really uh, wonderful. Like it's, you know, I, the thing, and the, and then that's a great example that, that shows it's not necessarily for that other person. You know, when um, and, and it's you know Jesus said you know forgive seventy times seven people like that's a lot. You know, people are just going to abuse me, and you know I can't I can't do that. And um, I've actually gotten to the point. I, I've read several people talk about now they practice pre forgiveness. I was interviewing a, a gentleman, uh, Pierre Pradervand, and he was talking about. I just forgive everybody of everything. I just practice forgiving people before they even do things that are wrong. So it's, <laughs> now it's to the point now where it's like, I don't I don't have to worry about it. Yeah. I, I love, you know, what you're just saying. I want to, I want to move to gratitude because I do a pre gratitude um, thing. It's mm-hmm. like one specific example. I was going to Europe and I applied for upgrades on United airlines. I had a lot of miles, but they wouldn't give them out until the day of the trip. Mm. So for a month above my computer, I put, thank you, United Airlines, for upgrading me, as mm. if it already happened. Mm, okay, okay. <laughs> and it's a long story, but after um, two canceled flights, the third flight, I was upgraded. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, so... Uh, I believe in a lot in gratitude and a lot in uh, being grateful even before it happens for what you want to happen. Yeah. And the other thing about gratitude, what I found is the more I'm grateful for the good stuff in my life, the more good stuff comes into my life. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely true. And, and again, you know, people that are that are early in, in their loss and their grief might say, well, there's nothing to be grateful for. You know, I, I, my son or daughter just died. My, my wife just died. I just got this terminal diet. I just lost my job, you know, whatever it happens to be. And the thing is, no matter where we are, there's something to be grateful for. There's always something to be grateful for. And it, you know, I was, I was talking with someone the other day and we were talking about, uh, you know, Victor Frankl, the book he wrote, you know, search man's search for meaning that he wrote, you know, that he right after he got out of a concentration camp. And if you can find meaning in that, or, you know, you, you read, I have a, a person I interviewed for my show, Terry Dillion, who has uh, ALS, you know, terminal illness, and she's like in her early mid thirties. And so, when you look at people like that, if they can find something to be grateful for, then then we can. And this, you know, for so I actually for me, it's like you said, it's a practice. I every day when I wake up, I'm like, what are three things I'm grateful for? And it might be right. my house is warm in the winter, or my house is cool in the summer. And I was in the yeah. bathroom this morning. I was like, what a miracle to have electricity. Just to, you know, to, to be grateful for it when you have, it. because when the power goes out, then you realize what a miracle is when you have it. So why not be grateful for it while you have it? Right. I had a wonderful teacher that once said, to want what you don't have is to waste what you do have. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so, um, so relevant during the pandemic. You know, people, well, I haven't been out to eat in the restaurant or, you know, to, 
okay, you don't have that, but you have food in your house. I know a lot of people learn how to cook <laughs> yeah. during the pandemic. Um, so be grateful for that. Uh, and you're right. This when my wife died, uh, you know, it was it was difficult at the beginning. But then I start realizing. I start looking at all the things I still had. I didn't have her. That right. was the not so great part. But I still had my daughter. I still had a work that I enjoyed doing. Mm -hmm. um, I still had a house to live in. You know, I still had really good friends. I still had food on the table. I still lived in the city that I wanted to live in. I mean, on and on and on. Mm -hmm. So I think I think one of the things people who are grieving a loss is to kind of put that loss in the background for a bit and look at all the stuff in front of you that you have. Well, I think that's the human condition by default. And it's part partly built in because, you know, that's why humans are always striving for more because we're always looking, how can I do this better? You know, and that, that's a good thing. So that's not a bad thing to have, but it can actually bring us down unless we learn to balance it out. And that's where the practice comes in. As you said, and, you know, I can, I can always say, you know, I don't have my wife or I don't have my daughter or I just lost my job, but COVID's a great example. I can't go out to eat in a restaurant. Well, okay, so, but you have food, you can cook at home. And how much money have you saved over this last year? And how much sweeter is it now that we can go out? I went out with friends uh, a week ago this past Saturday for the first time in over a year. And we went out to some, some microbreweries and we sat in chairs by the river and we watched people kayaking by. And it was, I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it, but it was so <laughs> much sweeter than when I could do it every, you know, every weekend. Yeah, I love what you, uh, how you label it. It's so much sweeter. It is, and it's like <laughs> walking in the street. I'm fully vaccinated if I choose not to wear a mask. It, mm -hmm. That is just, it's like all these little things that, that we never thought about when they're taken away from us, and mm -hmm. now they're, they're coming back, and they're much sweeter. Uh, yeah, I was actually forced to eat inside of a restaurant because they didn't have heat outside and the heaters weren't working and it was terribly windy and things are blowing away. And it was like, Oh my God, can I do it? You know? And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but they had the doors open and seated people away from each other and it was fine, but it was like, Oh, this is what it was like. This yeah, is what it in the, used in the to before be like. times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, uh, yeah. Um, so just appreciate, you know, be grateful. I think for what you have and you don't know when it's going to be taken away from you. Right. You know, like, like with all these things we're missing or have missed in the last year. Yeah. Well, it goes back to what you said, you know, at the very beginning, we, you talked about death kind of being baked into this whole thing and, and what would it be like if we live forever? Um, part of the, part of the beauty of life is the, is the fragility of life. Part of the beauty of it, one of the reasons why we do embrace things is because we don't know when we're, when they're going to be taken away. And you think about all the things we do, breathing, walking, that we just take for granted, you know, because we just assume, oh, well, this is what I've been doing. This is what I'll always be able to right, do. Right, right. So and you, why you know what amazes me is that our life really is dependent on one breath. Mm -hmm. If you stop one breath, that's it. Yeah, And one of my great teachers, I don't know if you know his book, Stephen Levine, he wrote Who Dies, among other books. Um, 
but he used to do a lot of workshops. I do. I would manage some of them, and um, mm -hmm. he would always ask, "Are you going to die in an in breath or an out breath?" Mm. <laughs> I. I can't say much more about that, except I thought it was very profound kind of, yeah, that's all it will take. That's all it will take is one in-breath or out-breath, and that's it. No more. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, there there will be a last breath. There will be a last heartbeat for all of us. Uh, we, we don't know when it's going to be for most of us. And so that's why we, you know, embrace the life while we have it, and we try to find humor where we can and try to find gratitude where we can. And um, that's what, that's kind of what life is about is balancing these things out. Mm -hmm. You got it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, you, you, we also, we, you talked about, we're talking about the book embracing life after loss, but I one, another one in your book, I wanted to talk about a little bit was the, um, uh, the healing or the off factor. Cause right. I find that really, really fascinating. I think it kind of really ties in with, with the, uh, the loss thing. Yeah. So this, The Healing Power of Humor was my first book. This is mm -hmm. my last book, The Off Actor. Mm -hmm. And um, I wrote it because there were so many simple things in my life that gave me goosebumps or made me realize the beauty all around us, maybe particularly during COVID. Um, mm -hmm. And um, I realized I don't often stop and smell the rosy, you know, I don't stop and, and uh, pay attention. So mm -hmm. um, I started interviewing people. I started uh, looking at my life. What were those all moments? What were those wow moments? And uh, I have some incredible stories in here, but just from my own life, um, and some of this I talk about in my TED Talk, which is about intention. Mm. setting your intention but mm -hmm. um just finding the publisher was an all moment it's a very long story so i'm not going to go into it but um walking in a bookstore to do a book signing and this woman is uh, totally crying at the counter because she lost her husband and mm. taking her aside for a half hour and chatting with her and hugging her uh, and giving her some guidance. Um, that was an awe moment, just just being, you know, walking in a store, just, you know, I could have been five minutes late, she might have left, or vice right, versa. Right. Same thing, I was on top of Yosemite going up to Vernal Falls, and somebody was coming down the other path, and he looks at me and he goes, Alan, I didn't recognize him. It was one of my apprentices 40 years before when he was a, an apprentice when I, I was, I used to be a scenic designer in summer stock and hmm. I was the designer. Oh, wow. What, what are the, is that not an all moment? I mean, what are the chances of us being right at that split second uh, together? Yeah. So, so things like it's all around uh, flowers uh, just amazed me and, because when you look inside a flower, it's often very different and so amazing. I, in fact, um, I took a photo of an iris that was in my garden recently. And mm -hmm. it's just amazing. Yeah. The color, the textures. Uh, 
I put it on Facebook and somebody said it looks like a dancing iris. It does. Yeah. You can see the motion yeah. in it. Yeah. It just so and nature, by the way, is the is the biggest generator of awe. And the reason I I wanted to write this book because the research, one that came out last September, is they found that they sent two groups of people, older people, on walks 15 minutes a day, once a week for eight weeks. And then they did some tests with them. And they found those people that they were told to find some awe in their walk or something that was wonder or amazing for them. Mm-hmm. that they uh, had more positive emotions, less negative emotions, that they said they were less upset and that they were happier. Mm-hmm. And the other group said when they went on their walks, they were often focused on some of the stress in in their life, some of the negative stuff in their life. Yeah. And yeah. so just looking, just having that intention of finding a little bit of wonder in your life could could make you much uh, happier and healthier. Yeah, I think it was Einstein that said that uh, you can look at life as either everything's a miracle or nothing is a miracle. And it's in the book, yes. The, the, the older <laughs> I get, and this is wild because I'm an engineer. My, my background is chemical engineering, so I'm a very you oh. know logical kind of person. But the older I get, the more I think the universe is magical. And you talked earlier about you know the the pre gratitude thing, which some people call the law of attraction. And so the question is, when we do, we practice this gratitude or we practice awe, is more awe coming into our lives or are we just noticing more awe and it's already there? Because everything can become a miracle. I I walk for an hour and 45 minutes every day and I take, I've got my phone with me, of course, and I take pictures of the squirrels or the birds or whatever. And and I'm looking around and, and it's just so you know, I just, I love watching the squirrels. I think the squ- squirrels are so cool. and just, you know, watching their lives. Um, and so the more that I do stuff like this, the more all comes into your life. And I'm with the group called Helping Parents Heal. And you know, we're all parents whose children have, have, have transitioned or died. And, you know, we look for synchronicities and signs. And you talked about a couple of things that have happened to you. It's, it's crazy the synchronicities that have happened to me. The, the things that have come into my life, the timing of things that have happened um, and how things just start to kind of open up when you start to look for those things. Yeah. It's funny what you said about your walk, because I just finished teaching a five week class on the book mm-hmm. on awe. And I gave them a homework of the students, a homework assignment each week. So one week was actually take that all walk, just like in the, in the study mm-hmm. um, and come back with things that are them, which they did. But the second week I just had them meander, just go out. Don't have an intention of all, just go out and walk and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And they came back just like the intention. They were now like trained almost yeah to look for the things that um, was a wow moment for them. Yeah. Once you set that and make it a habit, and that's, that's what I like about your, your books, because it's making these things a habit, it's making them intentional because by default we can go to what was me look at what I don't have. You know, I, I, there's no, there's no beauty in the world. You know, I, I've heard right, people describe right. it as when someone passes, my world was black and white and and that that happened to me so i understand it yeah. but it's getting that color back in the world it's getting that it's it's really recognizing what's going on around us and that yeah there are still good things 
in my life. There's still things that are still worth, you know, pursuing. And, and in your case, with your wife, you know, passing, when you were a very young age, launching you in this completely different trajectory than you probably would have been on otherwise. Right. I, you know, some sometimes I wish I can go back in my life and do it over and see what would I be doing now? Yeah. <laughs> you know, what would my... You can't tell. We don't know. We don't know. You know, no. some people have asked. Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. You... Well, some people have asked me uh, t- two things. Um, how do I know when something is awe to me? And I, I go, and I came up with an acronym. Awe is A-W-E. So if you have a wow experience, you've, you found some awe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and the other thing people have asked, well, isn't awe one one interviewer isn't awe connected to gratitude? And absolutely. and I said yes, absolutely. Because yeah. if you if I can look at that flower and I'm grateful for it growing in my garden and being part of my life, um, that and uh, it awes me. And so yeah, there is a connection. Yeah, I remember when my girls were little. Um, they, we were, my my wife just we had dandelions in the yard, right? The girls are like, "Why are you killing the dandelions?" And we said, "Because yeah. they're weeds." And they said, "No, they're pretty. You know, they're these pretty yellow flowers." And I was reading something the other day about like how you can use every part of a dandelion that's all you know useful and beneficial. And and so now you know since they'd said that, I look at dandelions completely differently now. And I'm like, "What is a weed but something that's growing where it's supposed to grow, where we don't want it to grow?" And it's only a weed because of our attitude. It's only a weed because of the way we look at it. And so when mm-hmm. someone asks you, well, what's an awe moment for me? It's like, well, that's really up to you. Um, and the more you do it, the more everything becomes, you know, I, 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 you know, we've got carpenter bees here now, which are annoying. And we've got the cicadas that are coming now, um, right. 17 year cicada cycle. But it's like, what kind of a creature lives underground for 17 years and then comes up and lives for six weeks and sings and then dies. There's something beautiful about that, that cycle, even though there's so annoying. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. As uh, you said, Einstein said, everything's a miracle. Mm-hmm. You can live your life that way. It will totally change your life. Yeah. You know, and if, it, if you, if you wake up, you know, looking for the miracles every day, you're going to find them. It will totally change your life. Yeah. And it's a choice. And that and that's the thing that, that I've realized and what I really try to communicate to people is it's a choice. We can look at life as if it's it's random and it's cruel and it's harsh and there's lots of evidence to support that. Or we can look at life as if it's miraculous and everything is just as it should be. And there's lots of evidence to support that, too. So it's really what do you decide? What, how do you decide you want to live your life? How do you want to look at it? And you know, in loss, you can you can um, celebrate a life that was, or you can mourn that life forever, and mm-hmm. it's, it's up to you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And with, with my daughter, she was only here on on this planet for fifteen years, but she she made and still making a huge impact. And you know, I've decided that. Uh, as if it was a choice, I've decided that I'm going to, you know, continue to carry on what she started. Um, and, and so, you know, with, again, with your wife, that such a, tr- you know, people say, Oh, such a tragic thing. And in a sense it is, but in a, we don't know what our lives would be like. Otherwise, like you said, if I could go back and do it again, we don't, we don't even know. There's a great movie from several years ago called the butterfly effect, where someone could go back and change things. And we don't, 
We don't anticipate all the other things that would change if we change this one little thing. We always assume life would have turned out better if I could have done this. But the reality is we don't know. Yeah, we don't know. We don't. And um, I realize, you know, even though, as I said, I fail speech in college and (laughs) still get nervous getting up in group. I mean, I've spoken to as many as 1,500 people, Mm -hmm. you know, in a Mm -hmm. in a. Grand Old Opry Auditorium and oh, yeah. ballroom could hardly see the back of the room. You know, um, was I nervous? I was scared stiff, of course. But my passion, you know, as I said, I I, I had to give this message to the audience. They're mm-hmm. getting we're getting too serious, folks. Lighten up. Yeah. Um, and and uh, I feel like I've been guided to do this, and so I I continue. I continue to do it. It's it's uh, what I've been asked to do by some higher power. Yeah, well, you're you're following the path that, that you were put on, you know. And sometimes we get to, we feel like we get to choose our paths, and other times we feel like our paths are given to us. Um, and again, it's a matter of how we how we look at it. It's like, okay, I'm going to take lemons and make lemonade. If you want to you want to look at it that way. But I, I happen to believe that this was a path that I was supposed to be on and that this is what's supposed to happen and um, that someday I'll understand why it happened the way it did. But for today, right. my job is to, is to continue to follow. And, you know, that's another, I think, coping um, tool for someone who's lost someone that you're right in that situation. I was right in my wife having a terminal illness and right in her dying. Mm-hmm. I could not see past that. Right, right. Now that I could see past it and look back and what I've accomplished and the thousands of people I've helped with my books, I mean, I get letters and stuff, how it's helped people. Um, I see maybe why that happened in the big picture. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's the thing. And that's 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 something that we need to remember when we're going through things. We never see it when we're going through it. I remember when I got fired for first time I got fired from a job, my daughter was nine months old and I'm like, there's nothing good out of that could come out of this. I, I was just getting ready to move. My daughter, literally, like I said, was nine months old. I got fired from my job. I couldn't see that two, two years down the road, I'd be making more money than I'd ever made at the other company. And it was the most money I'd ever made, you know, in my career. Um, I couldn't see that at the time. Right. And so we have to trust as we get older, you know, as you and I, get some age on us, we see how things turn out. Okay. So we can have a little bit more faith when something bad, ha- something quote bad uh, happens that, yeah, right. maybe this is going to be okay. Maybe, maybe yeah. it'll be all right. Yeah. And you know, I have a similar thing. I, as I said, I used to be a scenic designer at CBS television mm. and um, I was designing, you may not know, Merv Griffin, Jackie Gleason, and none of those shows oh, yeah. were moving to the West coast. We were on the East coast. So they let go of the staff. And then they gave me soap operas to do, and I didn't want to do that. So uh, they took those shows away from me. I had nothing to do, and I and I um, was let go from CBS, and I thought, oh, this is terrible. This is mm-hmm. awful. But it got us to move to the San Francisco, where we've always wanted to live. My wife was from there. Mm-hmm. We got a Victorian house that you see part one room, my office in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things totally changed and and um for the better yeah (laughs) um so uh, you know we just can't see 
yeah what's ahead for us so we need trust we need to trust yeah and you know it's interesting as you said that sometimes those things that we cling to are actually holding us back you know and and we need to be forced to have them ripped out of our hands right say you know because now you've been in san francisco for how many years now it's been oh for over 40 years yeah 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 Yeah. and now the my house is uh you know worth an incredible amount of money sure yeah (laughs) um victorian house in san francisco that i who would have ever thought i'd have have this you know so yeah yeah and that and that's the thing that um i love about your your books and the, the conversation we're having now because if people can just while we're in the moment just relax a little bit and say it's it I, it's going to be okay. It, it's going to be okay. I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know when it's going to work out, but it's going to be okay. And it always is. Here, I'm just reaching for right behind my computer. This sign that I have. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yes. Just to remind myself, you know. Yeah. yeah I, I interview a lot of people who have had near death experiences, and I had a woman on. Her name is Heidi Craig, and she's she's had an incredibly difficult life and she had this near-death experience and she said i learned three things one was everything will be okay that everything is okay and that we're unconditionally loved more than we can ever imagine and i was like if we could always remember those three things and if we could always remember that you know no matter what things look like it's going to be okay and that's that's the message we get you know all all these you know from from spiritual people and 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 seekers it's like that and so we just need to learn to trust that as we're going through all the trials and tribulations we go through right not easy (laughs) sometimes not easy but the more we can you know remember some of those things the easier it becomes yeah, absolutely. Well, Alan, um, I've really enjoyed having this conversation with you today. It's, it's great get, getting to meet you. Tell people, um, remind people of your book, how to spell your name, where they can find it. Right. So the books we talked about, my first book, The Healing Power of Humor, mm-hmm. um, The Awe Factor, my latest book, <laughs> And one of the uh, spiritual sites on online said it was one of the best books of 2020. Mm. So spiritual books, best spiritual books. And the book we mostly talked about today, Embracing Life After Loss, they're all on Amazon or your books, local bookstore could order it or Barnes and Nobles or you know anywhere online. And spelling my name because spelled differently sometimes, A-L-L-E-N. K L E I N and uh, can go to my website, triple W dot com. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Alan, again, it's been a pleasure getting to have this time with you today, uh, getting to know you a little bit better. Um, keep doing what you're doing, bringing, bringing joy to people in the world. We need, we need more of that. Thank you. And good luck to you, your book, your podcast. Um, I look, I look forward to telling other people to, to watch it or listen awesome. to it. Awesome. So thank you. All right. Enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Thanks for listening to Grief to Growth. Brian hopes that you find this episode helpful and will come back for future episodes. Brian's best-selling book, Grief to Growth, Planted Not Buried, is a great resource for anyone who is coping with grief or knows someone who is. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support it, There are three things you can do to help. The first 
is to share the podcast with someone that you think it will help. The second is to go to iTunes, rate, and review the episode. The third way you can support the podcast is by becoming a patron. Head over to www.patreon.com slash grief to growth. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash grief, the number two, growth, and sign up to make a small monthly donation. Patrons get access to exclusive bonus content and knowledge that you are helping to spread the message of grief to growth. For more about Brian and grief to growth, visit www.grief2growth.com. Hey there, if you like this episode, come on over and talk about it. Let me know what you liked. If you didn't like this episode, come on over and talk about it. Let me know what you didn't like. Go to grieftogrowth.com slash community and look for talk about the podcast. I'll see you there.